Um, all right. Good to see everybody. Um, always, always. And wanted to just say again, thank you for the prayers um, for the two opportunities to speak on behalf of the, the church, really, for the body of believers about Israel at the rally in Chapel Hill and then at the synagogue uh, last night. All went really, really well. It was a beautiful reminder of what it is to surrender to him, trust him, let the Lord, Holy Spirit take over, and truly was a blessing, both encounters. Um, at both settings, there was opportunities for conversations and some truly fruitful ones um, last night particularly. But something that struck me in both were the different Jewish people really grateful um, for the presence there, but also voicing they've been grieved that the church hasn't done more or said more, um, and just, just not understanding that fully, because thinking that there's an importance there, but not understanding why that's there. And boy, is that an opportunity for a conversation, not just about the meaning of, history, of um, Israel, the history, biblically, but also everything to come, because I think we forget that part, and Sunday was able to go there a little bit to just remind of everything that is to come. And that's why we need to be focused, I believe, on praying for salvation on both sides. So I just encourage us to continue those prayers. And in the midst of that, really, really um, just grateful for the legacy of this particular church, Calvary Chapel overall, for just standing on the word of God. And in the word of God, we know what Israel means and everything to come and using the word as our anchor. But I just encourage us, speak up. And when it comes up, Speak up, and not saying speak up in a protest way, but I'm saying speak up to remind people what the Word of God says and have that conversation of where are you on the side of where we know everything is going to go. Where will you be forever and ever and ever? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time that we can be in your Word, Lord. It is a blessing, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the peace, the comfort that comes from your word and remembering who you are and your faithfulness, Lord God. Father, be with us tonight as we continue on in the book of Psalms. Have your way, Lord. Minister to each and every single person that is here, Lord. You know where they are, the circumstance, what's going on, and how powerful the living word is to minister to every moment of our lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we finished Psalm 23 with that message tended. And reminding us, I saw Psalm 23 as kind of part two of this trilogy that we have where we see the shepherd killed, we see the shepherd's care, and we see the shepherd coming back to reward his people. In Psalm 23, we saw God's comfort. We saw his protection. We saw his goodness. We saw his mercy. We saw his care. We saw how David knew and saw God as the shepherd. And that should remind us of our chief shepherd, Jesus, who lays his life down for us. And what a tie it is to where we are in John chapter 6, where we just looked at the bread of life, the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Peace amidst the enemies we saw, because it's not the idea that the enemies just, boom, disappear, but there is peace being amidst that. The comfort from the Lord, his rod and staff. We saw the examination that the shepherd would do with the sheep with the rod and staff, reminding us to let the Lord search our hearts. A core theme, if we think about what we saw in Psalm 23, intimacy with God. And a question I ask us to ponder and remind ourselves and check, 
How is your intimacy with King Jesus? How is your intimacy with the King of Kings? If we think about the pace of our world, go, 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 do, 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 do. We forget things. If we think about even the hostages that have been held as doing both of those events and hearing 100 days, then 102 days, and thinking how if you look at the world and you look at media, what's, quote, important by the world standards, you rarely see anything anymore of what's going on over there because it happens, it's big, and then we just keep moving on. If we think about our journey of salvation, if we're honest with ourselves, often that moment when you first come to know you're on fire, woo, 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 and then the fire kind of dims, and then it comes back on, then dims, and we're up and down, we're up and down. And I think we need to ask ourselves, am I clinging to the intimacy with my king? Because if you're clinging to the intimacy with him, if you're clinging to the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want, I think that fire can stay lit. That fire can stay glowing for him because it's, you're linked. You're linked to the fire. You're linked to the source. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want is how that psalm starts and it ends. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 1, verse 6 happens only with intimacy with God. So we have to keep that at the forefront. And in the midst of our trials, the valleys of death, we need to remember anchor in Jesus. So the charge check-in, one, was to memorize and pray Psalm 23. So let's do a little resuscitation. Memory test, everyone. The Lord is my shepherd. Sounds like a room of tongues right now. I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> Just from my perspective, I can't hear it on one ear. I'm like, this sounds... Okay, go and check yourself. Make sure you have this memorized. I think most do, but I had to stop because just from where it was, it was like, this is giving me Catholic PTSD and tongues, and, and that's not how it goes, biblically tongues. So I'm just going to say, go back, make sure, check with your spouse, check with one another that you have this memorized and are praying it. That was creepy. Okay, <laughs> two from the charge. What valleys do you need to shift faith over fear? What valleys are you in? And if we think about the tie, and again, it's wild and shouldn't be surprised, but I'm still surprised when you see the ties of what we're doing on Sunday with where we are on Wednesday. If we think about the storm and the fearful panic or the faithful peace, where do you need to shift to faith over fear? Because if you have faith, you're looking to him. And you need not be afraid. I shall not be afraid. And three, who is astray in your circles and needs the shepherd? And it's that call and reminder again, we need to be sharing who Jesus is. We need to be evangelizing. Now tonight we're going onward to Psalm 24. And the title of tonight's message is Mighty One. Psalm 24, it's a hymn, it's a psalm of David. Ten verses that pack a mighty punch. And it's just kind of what we get to see as we look at these Psalms and look at David. Few verses, boom, so much in there. This is a royal Psalm. And as we saw in Psalm 22 and we saw in 23, and we're going to see here, there's prophecy pointing to King Jesus. 
This psalm ties to Psalm 15. If we remember when we looked at Psalm 15 and we were focusing on the character of one intimate with God. I'm just going to read Psalm 15 to remind us. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at a usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is a psalm that ties to Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Psalm 2, we've studied. Why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold him in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel, the millennial reign. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is a psalm that also points to Psalm 110. Because if we think about what we just saw in Psalm 2, the foreshadowing of the millennial reign, same thing in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his head. So we see those little references to just kind of download Okay, we're going to hit character, which we've seen in some other psalms. We're going to see prophecy of this millennial reign. Now, the timing of this psalm, there is debate among scholars as to when exactly was this psalm written. Some point that it could be when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6. Now, if we think about that moment in 2 Samuel 6, I won't have us read through all of that. But remember that first attempt was failed. They set the ark on the, and on the cart. The oxen stumble. Uzzah reaches out and touches it. And what happens? Boom. Knocked down. And when we think about this, it shows because the ark being the presence of God. And we know it was forbidden to touch. Numbers 4.15. They shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. And in that we saw Uzzah's disregard for the commands of God, for how God orders for certain things to be done. And the error was that it didn't really matter who carried or how it was done. And then we remember David in that moment has some anger and fear. Then he takes it to the house of Obed-Edom and fulfills God's word. 
Because in that house, it is from the Levite family of Korah and Kohath, which is the Levite family, that lineage that it was commanded by God to be the one to carry the ark. So then we see the return to God's word then allowed for the blessings and all to be done well. So that is where some think it would be that that was penned then and then on the memory of this wonderful bringing of the ark into the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, they would sing this psalm. Within that also, the psalm is believed to have been sung in Herod's temple and it would be sung on the first day of the week, Sunday. And then there's a link to that for some scholars to Palm Sunday, to that Sunday when our king came in riding into Jerusalem, that that timing, that would be the same day timing of this psalm being sung, being recited. Now, this psalm also is known as an antiphonal psalm. Music dork here loved, loves that because this is where we see this call and response. So as we look at the psalm, the first two verses are a praise out loud. And then we see the leader having calls in verse 3, 8, and 10. And the responses in verses 4 to 6 and the second half of 8 and 10. And we'll look at that as we go through this. In this psalm, we're going to see creator God. We're going to see holy God, and we're going to see our glorious king. It's wild when we think of all those different attributes of God, our king, Jesus, our Messiah. Think of what we just talked about with Psalm 23, intimacy with that one who is glorious, who is mighty. We're going to see prophecy of Jesus' entrance. We're going to see the prophecy of his ascension and his return. We're also going to see the portrait of Jesus entering the heart of a believer. And we're going to be reminded as we look at all of this that there is that old covenant. But boy, oh boy, do we say hallelujah for the better new covenant in Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, one scholar points to it being yesterday. Psalm 23, today. Psalm 24, tomorrow. All about our shepherd. So let's dig in and we start with verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's, Yahweh's covenant name right away. It's all his and its fullness. And the fullness there, we're talking about harvest. We're talking about wealth, life, worship, everything being his. Right away from the beginning of this psalm, God owns everything. And if we think about this, David as king would know he's a king, but a king of a small and insignificant thing in the comparison of the king of the world, of the king of everything. Now, when we think of that, we can then sometimes think, well, doesn't Satan, you know, rule the world or Satan's in charge of this? Remember, Satan can't do anything. God does not allow. God is the ultimate supreme authority and owner Overall, And he goes there with, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters, which should remind us of the very, very, very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I loved when we went through Genesis, we took, I think, a month to do that first verse with Pastor David. But uh, when we looked at that first verse, that reminder was given to us, if you can't take this first verse, you're not going to be able to take the rest of Scripture. And that's so true. 
And when we look at this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He owns it all. He did it all. And then we're reminded in verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So in the beginning of this psalm, we're reminded of creation. We're reminded God controls all. We're also reminded, if we look at 1 Corinthians where Paul references this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where there's these conversations about the law and what's good to do and what's not good to do, and Paul is urging the Corinthians and reminding them to think beyond just self here, think about others. But we see in verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And we go back one verse. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. It's that reminder, okay, if we're going to talk about these things, it's all the Lord's, you can consume it. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to go binge have whatever I want. No, that's not what we're talking about here. And he's reminding them in the context there, looking at this, okay, in the effort of hospitality, for example, if this person puts this before you, have that. But if also, if it's something that's going to harm, then hold back. But reminding them, who controls it all? God. Whose is it all of? God. For the Lord, God, controls all. Now we take that step then for us as believers, with Jesus coming, we then have to think of another portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. If we're now thinking about what we just read here, that God controls and owns everything, We think now of our relationship as believers. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body as a temple. If we think about that, a temple sacred. It's sacred to God. Pure from immorality. Our body belongs to God. In Christ, our body belongs to God. We've been bought at a price, that price of salvation. Now with that, that means we don't have the right to abuse, to misuse God's property. We also don't have the right to be idle, to waste it, to do nothing with it. The Holy Spirit is in us, which means God himself is in us, which means we have his strength, his power over sins, over the things that try to tear us and move us. Again, I go back to that intimacy, though, because if there is no intimacy, you're not communing with the Lord or the Holy Spirit. But we then remember when we look at these verses, we're owned by God, creator. And in that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When was the last time you pondered being owned by God? It's that bondservant idea. Now, if we think about our culture, that's a hard thing for somebody to want to think about. You're tell- I, nobody owns me. I own myself. All that talk. But when we look at this as believers, guess what? If you're going to say you're a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God, he owns you. So that then means everything that we have is his. 
the life that we have, the possessions that we have, our families, the children that he gives us opportunity to steward, the grandchildren, all of it are his. It makes you think of the, the horrible things that can happen where can be grieving for a family who has a little child and the child goes home to the Lord. That's so hard. How could God do that? It's his child. We're stewarding it. The home that you have, it's his. You're stewarding it. The car, that it, everything is his. Nothing we have is ours. Do you take time to ponder that? Because it shifts priorities a bit. Because our culture makes it all about, I own this, I have that, I have this. It's all about how much do you own? How much possession do you have? How much dot, dot, dot? But if we're following the Lord, we're glorifying God in our body and our spirit, which are God. That calls us to look within And it calls us then to look at verse 3 of our psalm for tonight. Because it's all his. And then in verse 3 we see, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in the holy place? Basically, who, who then, God owns everything, who can approach him? Who can commune with him? Who can be with him? I wish verse 3 was the question that education in this country tried to make people think about. Because if you think about it, our question that we try to get everybody to think about is, what gives you the greatest fulfillment? Or what makes you feel like you're empowered? What makes you happy? What makes you feel good? Imagine if we were thinking about, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Imagine if that's what we were thinking about, and then we lived Hebrews 4.12, and let the word of God be the double-edged sword, discerning the intents of our heart and our thoughts. Imagine. Now he goes further here. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands, the external, the appearance, the evidence within what one sees, and a pure heart, the internal, the motives. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, God is first, period, nor sworn deceitfully. The words that one speaks reveals the state of the inner man or woman. And nor sworn deceitfully honest. There's not deceit. There's not moving around. So there's four hits there. Clean hands, pure heart, no idols, no deceptive words, aka be perfect. Who can do that easily? Raise your hand. Who's, who can do all four easily? Why is no one raising their hand? Now in this, think of David at this time. He would be thinking of the old covenant. He'd be thinking of Deuteronomy 27, 28. He'd be reminding with Israel blessings that are received for obedience, curses for disobedience. And then we think about ourselves, and I make jests, but really, when you think of that, can we ever be perfect with clean hands and pure heart? That's impossible. But for Jesus. Makes me think of that nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because it's literally only his blood that gives us the ability, the access. It's why the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, so many times talks in the beginning in those early chapters about the better covenant the new covenant with Jesus because all fall short of the glory of God, all sin. Spurgeon on this, I like, our Lord Jesus Christ could ascend into the hill of the Lord because his hands were clean and his heart was pure. And if we by faith in him are conformed to his image, we shall enter too. By faith. It's something that I think we leave out And it ties again, intimacy, intimacy with our king. And by faith, 
knowing who he is, knowing he has made me a new creation, I have access through Christ alone. Then we see in verse 5, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God rewards those who honor him. Now we have two covenants we're hitting. In the old covenant at this moment, as we think of that list in verse 3 and 4, and we think about the laws that they had, righteousness was be something that would be worked on and worked for before fellowship with God. But the new covenant, it shifts. Righteousness, that righteous walk, is a result of the fellowship that we have founded on faith. The power in verse 5, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation for us with the whole counsel of the word of God with Jesus. An obedient life is the product of his righteousness by faith. The just shall live by faith. Righteousness isn't something, saints, that we earn. It is imputed to us. It's not something that we I'm doing all these things. Look how righteous I am. No, we even looked in John. We're not, it's not all the do, 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 do. Be still. Know who he is. It's remembering John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God veiled in the flesh. Jesus, Mashiach, Yeshua, gives us access. Gives us that ability. Relish that. Cherish that. Then we see verse 6. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now, when we see this is Jacob, turn with me to Genesis 32, because this is the reference point that David would be bringing to memory here. And this is something that we many know, and it's, it's one of those kid stories of wrestling. Jacob wrestles with God. And we see here Genesis 32, verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I had seen seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose up and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. So when we think of this, faith, Jacob shows first that he has faith in this because he has no retreat when he goes over. And Esau could attack, but he has no retreat. And he now then is alone. And there's something important there because in order for God to be able to do the work that he needed to do with Jacob, he had to get alone with him. Because if he had the entourage and all the activity of that, there'd be lots of things he could be doing. So he gets him alone to be able to deal with him. 
Sometimes God has to get us alone to be able to deal with us. Jacob didn't start. God wanted something from him. God wanted Jacob's pride, self-reliance, and fleshly plans to be done. And God came, takes it by force. Now, there's a special appearance that's taking place here with the man. It's a special appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, God in human form. And he seems, as he's going through this, it can be an even match, but the man is supernatural, could do it at any point. Jacob knows he's defeated, but in the knowing he's defeated, he says, I want my blessing. I want that blessing from the greater one. And Jacob, prior to this moment, could rely on himself alone. But now from this moment, can only rely on God. His reliance is in God alone. He gets a new name, Israel. Sarah, fight, struggle, rule. El, God, God rules. He prevails with God and wins. Because when you wrestle with God, guess how you can only win? By losing. By losing. Jacob gets God's mercy and grace because ultimately one who really willingly tries to wrestle with God shouldn't have that mercy and grace, but he gets that. The limp is a means to memorialize this. It's a small price to pay for quite a gift. David recalls Jacob here. He knew that surrender. He knew that urge to seek God. That's the reference there when we see this is Jacob. And if we think about what comes before this clean hands, pure heart, not lifting the soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's complete surrender. It's complete, I, I can't do this. God, you rule. It's that acknowledging the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. This is Jacob. The generation of those who seek him. We see there the goal of seeking God, how that gets passed down generation to generation. It's a reminder to us we can't just expect young folks to pursue the Lord. We have to tell them how to do this. We have to show them how to do this. We had the potluck and prayer. It was such a blessing to see families, whole families with the kids there so that they're learning what does it look like to pray with the church? What does it look like to do this? Those who seek him God, who seek your face. Draw near unto God and he'll draw near to you, James 4.8. That's what we're looking at here, seeking his face in surrender, in yield to him. And then we see Selah. And remember that Selah is that pause. It's that meditate. It's that ponder. God owns everything. God created everything. Who can go to him? Only one with clean hands, pure heart, no idolatry, honest. Only Jesus can do that. I must stop wrestling. I must surrender. Receive the blessing of salvation and seek him. Because if we think about this, when one enters the covenant relationship with God, when one enters the covenant relationship with Jesus, you are to continually seek him, to continually pursue him, to seek to see him face to face. Who seek your face, 
That's living for eternity. That's what that is. It's living for eternity. It's having your life be that everything I do, every breath, every fiber of my being is about eternity with my king. I surrender. I put anything aside that's in the way. Because Christ is my bridge to eternity. Do you ponder Christ as the bridge to intimacy, to seeing our king face to face? What are you wrestling with God over that you need to stop and surrender? What? We all have different things that we wrestle with. We have to stop and surrender. Then we go on. Lift up your heads, verse 7, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Let him in. This is the procession of the ark. This is the ascension of our Messiah to heaven. This is the millennial reign to come. Verse 8, who is this king of glory? This is where we really see that call and response. You know, I'm a big fan of Handel's Messiah. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? The Lord God Almighty. That's what you get. And they do that. The piece itself has that beautiful call and response. But it's that beautiful moment where it's asking, who is this king of glory? The gatekeeper asking, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord Yahweh Sabaoth. The Lord mighty in battle. It's the one who has all victory. It's the one who has ultimate victory. It's the one who has eternal victory. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Now that's telling us to take verses 7 through 10. Ponder that. Ponder lifting up your head. Ponder being lifted up. Ponder that everlasting door. Ponder his ascension after the resurrection. Ponder his coming the king of glory, to reign forever and ever and ever. Verses 9 and 10, think of our introduction to the book of Psalms months ago. One of the Hebrew devices, literary devices, repetition. That's what's being used there. And that repetition is being used to emphasize who is this king of glory. To emphasize the king of glory. We saw God created. We saw the creator. Then we saw the holiness of God. Then we see the glorious king. Now in that, we realize that this psalm hits creation of the world around us. In the holiness, if we think about the pure heart, the clean hands, that surrender that we have unto salvation, this psalm then is also hitting the creation in us through Christ to be new creations. And what a gift that is. And this psalm then is hitting the final creation of eternity. King of glory, Jesus reigning forever and ever. Then if we see Psalm 7, there's something else we note. 
I mean, not Psalm 7, verse 7, sorry. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. You could almost look at verse 7 to be that prayer to that unbeliever, that you would want them to hear the word, that you'd want them to lift up their head, to be lifted up, and the King of glory shall come in. And then they may have that question, who is this King of glory? And that's when we introduce them to the Messiah, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. When we look at the end of this psalm, verses 7 to 10, we see a portrait of the king of glory entering our hearts. That moment of salvation. Do you remember that moment where you were learning about Jesus and had that moment? Who is this king of glory? Who is this Jesus? I want to know more. Who is this Jesus? He's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. When we see verses 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the earths. We're reminded on the journey of salvation, brothers and sisters, it starts at creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's a little nugget for us as we think about people that we know in our lives who don't know the Lord. Somebody that you're praying for their salvation. Start at creation. Remind them, all that's around you, guess who owns it? God. Guess who made it? God. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Who can have relationship with the Lord? Well, you got to have clean hands. You're external. Get it together. Your internal pure heart. You can't have your soul going to idols. God's got to be first and foremost. You can't swear deceitfully. That seems really impossible. I don't know how to do that. Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Because he's the bridge to that. And you receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Because if that's the one who gives us righteousness, it's imputed unto us because of Jesus. So in that, it helps us then as the believer to remind that person, examine yourself. See your need for Jesus. Seek him. Look up unto eternity. And if you're seeking him, if you're looking for him, and if you surrender, he'll come in. The king of glory will come in to your heart and reign forever and ever and ever. Saints, verses 7 to 10 of this, I think, is a reminder again, we've got to evangelize. We've got to share. We've got to pray for salvation. And also, when we look at this Psalm 24, if we think about the reward to come, that crown of life for his glory, living for eternity, living for the king of glory. And if you see in the psalm the two places where the Selahs are, don't miss it when you go back and are looking at this on your own. The first Selah is after remembering God is in control of all and how to have intimacy with him. And then the second Selah is all about his glory. And we think about the glory of his arrival to come to take the cross. Think of that grand entrance into Jerusalem. And then we think of his glorious ascension to heaven. 
And then we think of him coming in the millennial reign, where he will reign after the tribulation forever and ever and ever. That's what you should be pondering when you read, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. The word of God repeats important things. The king of glory repeated here because we've got to remember it's all about God's glory. It's all about the glory of our king. It's all about the glory that will come that is his forever and ever and ever. So our charge for this week, one, look to eternity and rejoice. Look to eternity and rejoice. How often do you take time to relish in his reign to come? How often do you take time to relish in his reign to come? And I like that word relish because it's really, it's my ponder and relish. Ponder and relish it, friends. Truly, to take that time and realize the Messiah the only one who rules the world, that is my king, the king of my heart, the king of glory, is going to reign forever and ever. And then turn to Revelation and remind yourself of what that is all going to look like. Remind yourself. I'm going to turn there right now. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. That's that seeking that we saw. Your face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Look to that. Live for that. Two, prayerfully examine where you wrestle with God and need to surrender. Check your external, check your hands, and check your heart. Check your hands and check your heart. Where are you wrestling? And we can sometimes get stuck thinking it's a big, huge thing that I'm wrestling. It must be this this big thing. And then all the little things where we actually are wrestling, we miss it. It can be a tiny wrestle with those little devices that I really don't like. Smartphones. Unless you have a Samsung because they're very good. But with that wrestle with devices and social media and all the other things that we deem more important than God. There's a wrestle. I got to do this. I got to do that. I have to get that done. I have to get this done. I don't have time. I don't have time to read that, 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 that chapter in the Bible. I don't have time to do this because I have all these other things to do. There's a little wrestle going on. And we've got to let that be examined. Third, when we think of Revelation chapter 3, and we, we had read some of that tonight, but at the end of chapter 3 where he's... 
seeing the message to the church that's lukewarm. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. But if we go down there to verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If we think about that overcoming, we saw Jacob in his wrestle. How did he overcome? Surrender. Surrender to God. So the third piece of this, who needs Jesus in your life? Who do you need to have them realize, hey, someone's been knocking at your door. Let's talk about circumstance that's going on because that's one way the Lord tries to get attention. Let's talk about situations, whatever it may be, to show them, hey, he's knocking. And if you open the door, we see here, the king of glory shall come in. He will dine with you. He will be with you forever and ever and ever. Who needs Jesus? And I pray we don't just hear this because it's prayerfully each time, Lord, what do you want the church to move forward with from this message Salvation just keeps boom, boom, loud, echoing. Because we see what's going on and it's an exciting time to live in. Because we see so much of biblical prophecy in action. But what are you doing with it? As I say, don't be a rapture waiter. Run the race. Serve. Point people to the God who the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness that their name may be in the book of life. So that's the charge. Look to eternity and rejoice. Prayerfully examine where you're wrestling and need to surrender. And who needs to be reminded? He's knocking at the door. Let him in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for yet again another reminder through this royal psalm, Lord, of your reign to come. That millennial reign, Lord, eternity forever and ever. Lord, in the midst of different trials and sufferings and things we go through here, we can get so lost in the now that we forget the forever. Lord, help us to be a people who look to eternity, Lord, who live for eternity. Lord, help us to let you search our hearts that we would surrender and stop wrestling in the areas where you are asking us to give you everything. Because that's what you want, all of us. You wanted to remove Jacob's pride, his self-reliance to God-reliance. Help us to be dependent on you, Lord, and you alone. And Heavenly Father, help us to share as we never have before the joy we have in our hearts, the King of glory, who came and dwelled in my heart and will dwell in yours forever, if you would let him in. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet, your salt and light. Help us, Lord, to remember you own us and that we would seek to glorify you with every fiber of our being. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this precious church and body of believers, Lord. Help us all grow deeper in you that we would glorify you, the King of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful evening.